Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod for another week. Proudly sponsored by Subway. Nothing's as big as a footlong. I'm Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels and Christian Jolly are with me as always. Jake, pretty fun round of footy again. We saw a few interesting games, a few comebacks, a few uh, streaks of goals. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. 3 and um, oh, the blue boys. And I'm saying we are because I'm up and about. I'm, I'm excited. Is this, this is, our year? Because the thing is, our listeners are going to get annoyed because we're going to start talking about Carlton more than we normally do. So, Which we try uh, not to do a lot because we, we are. Do. It just so happens we are all Carlton supporters. But, you know, we, we do work for ESPN. We do watch a lot of other games. And we do um, talk about other teams. Got to be so. neutral. But um, I tell you what, looking good. Although this I didn't, is, didn't love the last quarter, but this good is, to get the win. About as positive I've seen you about Carlton in the entire time that we've worked together. So for those at home, this is this is how you know that Jake really is excited. <laughs> Christian, are you <laughs> as excited as Jake about the prospect of the Blue Baggers? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it sort of hit me probably even don't take much out of preseason, but they're just a the game style they played against Melbourne. Um, handballing out of stoppage could see what they wanted to do. And then they were able to... Uh, recreate it for the first two weeks of the season and probably another half against Hawthorne. It was probably, yeah, you were right, a bit of a disappointing second half as a cult supporter. But no, I am. I'm uh, optimistic because we always talk about, you know, signatures and game styles. You can see what Carlton's trying to do and they were able to master it for um, a couple of weeks. And surely the more they play together, they can only get better. The we, We've done this a couple of times on the pod over over the years, but we talk about some footyisms, Jake, and, and how they come about and some of the fun language involved with footy. But... Um, the term the lid and the lid being off and, and all sort of variations of the lid therein, I find quite fascinating because I don't know where it came from and I don't know really what it refers to. Like you're talking about a jar lid that just pops off. I mean, the imagery is bizarre, but um, whenever you're talking about the lid, everyone in footy knows what you're on about. They do. Um, and it is one of those ones that it's really only used in footy, isn't it? I, yeah. I don't I don't really hear it used in any other sport. No, but, I don't hear um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lids off. I mean, it, it just doesn't fit right. No. All right, that's 60 seconds. We've got to wrap up our Carlton <laughs> talk for the day. <laughs> I think it's written in our contracts, isn't it? Uh, before we get into uh, the podcast, the main stuff for today, guys, and there's a lot to get to, as always, something from round three which piqued, took your attention, Jake? Well, I noticed this after round three when I was just going back and just looking at some numbers and doing some stuff uh, ahead of round four. And I was looking at the, the uh, North Melbourne-Brisbane game, which was obviously a huge blowout, uh, 108-point loss to North. Not good. But it, no. I was surprised when I saw that it was because it was happened on April the 2nd. And if you go back a full year to April 2 last year, they got beaten by the Bulldogs by 128 points. So do you look at it as not much has changed or do you say, well, hang on a minute, They're, it's 20 points better than last year. So they are improving. Give them six more years and they might win a game. So, yeah, not good from, from North. And I just thought it was funny that same day, one year on, 100-point losses. Well, maybe because I know the clubs, they can put their fixture requests in ahead of time to the AFL. Perhaps in future years, they'll just try and avoid April 2 for April the foreseeable 2, future. Yes. The and what about their April VFL 4. side on the same day? Yeah, hundred another hundred point loss. So the well, VFL side lost by a ton, and then the symmetry was was weird though because the Lions in both the AFL and the VFL scored one hundred and fifty six points, I think it was. Yeah, uh, and in the AFL, the the, the Roos scored forty eight, and in the VFL, they scored fifty two. So it was almost mirror image mm. results. And we've seen that a bit. Um, yeah. I remember the first game of the year, Melbourne and Bulldogs. That felt eerily similar to the grand final in a lot of ways. But yeah, not good for North. Um, right. Don't know if we're going to touch on them later, but 
gee, they look destined for another spoon, don't they? Yeah, uh, I think it is going to be the hard slog, though, and I think fans are understanding of that. But, um, you know, if we keep seeing a few more 100-point losses, we might have to do a deep dive on North. Christian, something that uh, grabbed your attention from the weekend? Yeah, it's probably not the first weekend that's grabbed my attention, but it's a player one. And I know um, ESPN's own Chris Dory, I think, had him as his number one kid in his draft class. But Tom Green from the GWS Giants will be on him here too. And he's probably finally stood up to be, a you know, a genuine star of the midfield for the Giants this year. Uh, another 29 touches on the weekend. Had his 598 metres gained, which is a career high. 16 contested possessions, seven clearances, a couple of goals. Um, yeah, just another big performance. But again, just a, a bloke that showed as a junior, he can be one of the premier players in the competition. Big, thick boy too. And I think he he's, he's finally realising what he can do around stoppages with his body as well. And, and you talk about metres gained, adding an extra sort of element uh, with, a, with a career high, 500 and whatever it was. Um, I, I'm really excited by him. And I think he's one of the players that you can just sort of see will be able to take games apart. Uh, especially given some of the trends that we've seen early in this year, where you, when you talk about center clearances and scores from clearances, I think he he's the sort of player that relishes that kind of contest. I yeah, like that you mentioned and take a mark as well, which you know, so he can sort of yeah pinch it up forward. Yeah, I like that you mentioned Tom Green because uh, he's actually in our world famous Brownlow <laughs> Medal predictor. He's one of three players that I've got polling in all three rounds so far. So only three that I think can poll in all. In all three rounds, Cripps, Andy Brayshaw, and Tom Green. So, mm. fantastic start to the season. Cheeky little plug for the Brownlow predictor as well. Yeah. We'll get a few of those plugs out of the way. ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL if you want to keep up to date with some uh, some bits and pieces that Jake has on the run. Uh, something I noticed, and I think it's pretty easy to notice because I've seen the vision so many times from Friday night. But uh, when Jordan Dawson, the reverse swing came out late in the game, uh, you know, under lights at Adelaide Oval happens a fair bit, to be fair, in summer as well as uh, during the winter codes. But what I noticed um, in in the contest that led to the free kick, Lockie Murphy was was hit high uh, and was on the ground. And a trainer came over to him and was on the ground with him for about probably about twenty seconds. And I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that that trainer was saying, "Lockie, mate, just stay down." Jordan Dawson was right next to you. He's a pretty bloody good kick. I reckon he's a good chance because there's about thirty seconds left. I don't disagree with that at all and do you think clubs have those sorts of like thoughts going through them and they say oh if you stay down this bloke was right near you and he's a much better kick i I have a feeling that the clubs aren't as dumb as we think they are when it comes to this kind of stuff no they're not of course they're not but where like and obviously that was a pretty rough hit and it looked like he was shaken up from it but um where's the line for this because if if someone cops a little knock and they go down and, and then someone else has to take the kick after the sign or not even after the sign at any point of the game Will we would we be saying, well, is that within the spirit of the game? Should they be able to do that? I'm not saying this was clearly there was. I have no issue with that. No, and we um, hope he's okay. And he did look shaken, as you say. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think given the opportunity there, I think you look at who who's nearby, and and you know Murphy, a, a goal kicker, but not a noted goal kicker. Uh, whereas you look at someone like Dawson, and he was brought in by the club for his kicking, and you, and you think, well, if he was in nearby, maybe there's something there. But um, I, I did notice that someone else stepped into uh, was putting his hand on to take the kick too. Josh Rochelle, was one of the quickest over there and had his hand on the ball. So the confidence of a three, you know, in his third game in the showdown, sort of went, oh, you're injured. I'll take the kick and win it from here. So he's already, you know, boss, I can, I yeah, already it's always good when you do have options of people. Robbie that... Gray goals later in his career, Josh Rochelle, because he knows what he's doing around goal. 
For sure. It is always good when you have players that do want to put their hand up for those clutch moments. Uh, I'm sure that Michelle, yeah, I'm sure we'll get his chance in showdowns going forward. He looks like an absolute beauty. Uh, let's get into the main body of the pod. We've got plenty to chat to, and we're going to start off with our new sub, uh, new subject, new, uh, what's, what am I trying to say, Jake? I haven't had a coffee today, so I'm a bit, I'm struggling. Segment. That's the word. Yes. Um, um, I'll, get, I'll get there. It's called let's overreact to, um, and basically we, well, we'll say a statement or we'll, we'll pose a question, we'll overreact to it, and then eventually try and find a middle ground and, and explain and, and come to a consensus about where the question is going. Christian, I might throw this to you, but Port Adelaide, speaking of the showdown, are now zero and three. Does that mean that they're out of premiership contention? Well, again, you never, you never say never and go back four weeks ago and I think I tipped them to be premiers. So I'm not, I'm not going to jump off the ship that quickly. But again, looking at the numbers, um, and teams that have started zero and three. So this is going back to 2000. So the last 22 uh, or so years, seven of those, there's been 33, uh, sorry, 60 teams uh, start with a zero and three record in that time. And seven of them have made finals. Uh, so only a low percentage, but none of those have made it past the preliminary final. So no grand final appearances after starting zero and three. So mm. to get there on the final day of September this year, they're going to have to do something that no one, no other team's done from zero and three. But I almost look at next week's almost more important, and they're playing against you know reigning premiers in a pretty big game. But zero and four, uh, we're looking at thirty-three teams that have started zero and four, and only one have made finals. So you don't want to, yeah, they don't want to be dropping another game this week. But I'm, again, I'm giving them one more week before I put the put the bold line through. And that one team was Sydney a couple of years back, wasn't it? Two thousand seventeen, yeah. yeah. And, and we talk about that a lot. Six. But- we, we talk about how they made finals, but they obviously didn't go all the way. And we've talked about Port as a premiership contender uh, for many years now. And, and the fact that they may have you know, squandered an opportunity when they were minor premier, uh, Jake, uh, and then last year had the prelim as well and, and couldn't get it done. Uh, are you ruling him out now? No, I'm not. Those numbers are pretty daunting. And it's crazy. Mm-hmm. We're only th- we're three games in and already you look at that and say, well, historically, you put a line through it. Start yeah. looking ahead to next year. But I'm not. I'm still confident in this side. And mark the tape here. They are going to win on Friday night. Oh. Friday night or Thursday night? Thursday Who are night. Playing? Thursday night. Let's, let's hope they win Thursday night, not Friday night. Again. <laughs> <laughs> not too Thursday late. night. They're going to beat Melbourne. I've okay. got, I really think they're going to they're going to get up for this game and, and beat Melbourne. I, I've just got a just one of those feelings, a hunch. Yeah. Um, it's do or die. They have to now. Um, they don't really have a choice. Don't think they've been as bad as what their record suggests. Like the no, numbers. we've looked at accuracy and they've been inaccurate and they've had they've been inaccurate. Shots. But a lot of the other metrics that we look at, they've been pretty good, especially like that Hawthorne game. I know Christian spoke about it. Like they lost by eleven goals or something, but they really only should have lost by sixteen right. points or something. Yeah. So I don't think Port's been as bad as what they've probably as they probably look on the ladder um but yeah they're gonna need to turn it around but the big thing's personnel like they don't have a lot of key players out on the park at the moment and i don't i think you can look at any side and take five or six of their best players out and they're gonna be struggling too so the good news for port is they will be coming back um not all this week but they will be getting a few players back i think charlie dixon's the most important player in my opinion for them it just gives them a focal point in the forward line it would take the pressure off some of the other some of the other key forwards that are in there jeremy finlayson obviously we had high expectations on him coming into the season um todd marshall who actually looked pretty good in the showdown played really well probably his best game that i've ever seen him play yep Um, and then we know some of their crafty smaller forwards like robbie gray and orazio fantasia 
Um, and then you look at the defense, you know. The, I, the, say, I think the, the biggest hole for me is in the defense, which yeah. I told you was Alir Alir yeah. across okay. the last two weeks. I mean, he, he played um, the full round one game, but probably wasn't fit towards the end of the game. But they've conceded yeah, 30 more points than they did last year. So five goals more they're conceding to the opposition and scoring two goals less themselves. So 42-point turnaround. I know one man can't fix it, but throw Alir Alir down there and he, he gets him at least... 18 fewer points on the scoreboard kicked against him. I think he's, you know, he's, he makes your defense three goals better almost. So, so, so if Aaliyah can make your defense three goals better and Dixon can make your forward line one or two goals better, that's that's a five goal turnaround right there just with two players. So, well, in, in the next weeks, in the next six weeks, you got the D's on Thursday night, then, then Carlton, which will be a challenge, but then West Coast uh, in Adelaide, then St Kilda. Yeah, and the Bulldogs, and then North Melbourne. So there's some winnable games there as well. They they could be. I I wouldn't be surprised if they were four and four. You know, yeah. like and and then if you can get to four and four, it's a reset and you go again. And and then they'd have they'd be fit, fitter. I, I'm not ruling them out. I know the numbers would say that they that they can't do it. And we've as Christian said, we haven't seen a team. Um, well, we've seen one team make finals from this position, uh, or from zero and four. But yeah, I, I'm certainly not ruling them out. Yeah. Um, last week we we chatted a little bit about uh, goal streaks and momentum, and then and it was another weekend of of goal streaks and momentum footy, and and a lot of uh, other media outlets have sort of jumped onto this as well. We, I've I've seen a radio, TV, a wash on the couch, three sixty talking about momentum, which is always a fun buzzword um, when you're talking about statistics and footy because it's always very hard to quantify. And we tried to do that last year uh, with varying degrees of success, but like I said, the Hawks, the Blues, the Pies, the Cats, the Saints, the Dockers, and the Lions all kicked six or more goals in a row at some point this week, which made some for some really entertaining footy. Um, but Christian, you've got some stats that kind of say that the streaks aren't any, there aren't any more or any less streaks than really at any time in the last sort of 22 years. Yeah, it has. It's uh, you sort of hit the nail on the head. It's been interesting last two days because it is, it's one of those ones that it's, it's the buzzword momentum and everyone's, everyone's seeing the same thing and feeling the same thing and, <laughs> you know, sure that the numbers will, will support them. But again, just, Looking at, I think it is, there's a little more I look into the numbers. I think there's a lot of recency bias about what we're seeing because, again, I'm enjoying footy this year and enjoying the goal streaks, but I just looked back at previous years and looked at up until round three, how many times at each of, you know, a three goal, how many times had a team gone on a three goal streak or a four goal streak and a five goal streak and a six goal streak, et cetera, et cetera. And sort of, you know, some of those numbers, so three plus goals so far this year, it's happened 88 times. Um, that's the sixth most after three rounds. And I think the highest year was about 2016 or 2017. So not too long ago. Uh, this, sorry, this is looking at from 2001 to 2022. So about 21, 22 uh, years worth of data. Mm-hmm. Four plus goals. It's happened 48 times, which is the equal fourth most in that time. But then you get to five plus goals and we're at 21, which is the equal 14th most. Six plus um, we've seen happen the equal fifth most times. So seven plus is the number that sort of stands out. We've seen that happen. Seven goals in a row has been kicked 10 times this year. That's the equal second most we've seen since 2001. Which is probably what a lot of people are seeing and they're going, oh, wow, this is clearly much bigger than, than any, any other Correct. time we've sort of but, seen in the last 20 yeah, years. Yeah, but then add one more goal to that. So eight plus goals has only happened three times, which drops us all the way back down to equal 14th most. So right. we have seen more goal streaks kicked in earlier parts of the season, um, which is one way to look at momentum. Um, so yeah, as I said, looking at the goal streaks just by themselves sort of didn't show too much. Then looking at um, sort of coming back from certain deficits. So the big one was uh, on the weekend was Geelong coming back from uh, I think they were about thirty-seven down. I think there was a maximum they were down against Collingwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've always used the thirty-point rule as being a pretty safe margin. Once you get thirty points up 
any time during a game, you're pretty likely to win. So, again, looking at this year, that was the first 30-point comeback um, we've seen of the year. So, 13 time, thirteen matches this year, a team's gone up by at least 30 points and only once um, has that team lost. So, mm-hmm. um, and that was Collingwood on the weekend. Correct, yeah. So, that's, you know, at the moment, it's 7 or 8% of the time you're down by 30, you come back and win. Previous years have been 6%, 6%, 6%, and, you know, 6% back in 2017 as well. So, the num- you know, because we've got a small sample size, you'd expect maybe, you know, just the number to say similar to the previous few years. So, we're not seeing any more 30-point comebacks. What about um, 20 points? Because I feel like that that might be a, a point where we're, you know, you no longer, I know as a fan, you no longer feel safe when your team's only 20 points up. Yeah, correct. And that is the one that's probably, that stands out to me when I run all these numbers. So, again, I looked at, went one step further and looked at 40-point deficits. Uh, I think only two teams in the last six years have come back from 40 points and one. Uh, mm. So it's very, you know, that's a, that's a safe margin. As I said, 30 points gives you about a 92% chance of winning. Getting 20 points up um, previously has always been around, around about 78 to 84% chance of winning once you get that far up, uh, 20 points up. This year, you've had a uh, 62% chance of winning. Um, when you're 20 points up. Sorry, 72%, sorry, 72% chance of winning when you're 20 points up. So, yeah, if you want to talk about uh, safe margins and unsafe margins, 20 points is becoming less safer than it ever was. So getting 20 points up sort of doesn't, you know, as I said, it still gives you a 70% chance of winning the game, um, but it's one of the lowest percentages we've seen um, going across 20 years. So definitely teams being able to crawl, claw back from a 20-point margin is happening more often. It's interesting because you would think that would mean that we're seeing higher scores. Higher scores, you'd think, would equate to, you know, a margin not being, you know, a margin not being, that not margin not being safe, basically. But we're not seeing higher scores. We're seeing lower scores, if anything. Yeah, so it's slightly higher than the last two or three years. But you're right, we're still, you know, overall we're at 85 points per game this year, which is back to where we were in 2017, which a lot of these numbers are quoting. So... You're right. It's and it's so hard because it's been three rounds, and um, as I said, we've seen some. I think it was an eleven goal streak on the weekend or something uh, during the year, which is quite high. But yeah, in terms of the amount of times it's happening, it's it's not happening any more times um, than previous years. But probably yeah, because the scoring's lower. There you go, Jay. It's probably because the scoring's lower. It's much more noticeable to kick seven goals in a row because that's, maybe that's what it is. That's and I think as well, you, yeah. you look at like I had to when I went through and, and looked at the teams that had kicked streaks. Um, a lot of them were pretty quick, and we've talked about sort of scores from centre bounces and how how they're well up, uh, and, and how if you if you're a team that can take advantage of clearances out of the centre uh, and get the ball into a, a relatively open forward line quickly, you may be more inclined to score goals. But like when I looked at it, I was like, I saw the Dockers were in that, but really the worm was quite long and pronounced and, and you didn't notice that as much. But what I think when you look at some of the six plus, for instance, um, goals in a row streaks uh, from, from this week is a lot of them have been rapid fire yeah. and the pies did it quick. The, the, the cats did it quick. Uh, the blues shot out of the blocks, the Hawks clawed things back. Um, and I think maybe that's why people are noticing it is, is it because the way that, you know, scores from center clearances and goals from center clearances is, is, is well up this season. That's being noticed a lot more. I think that's definitely a reason. Yeah, for sure. Um, As we can say, you kick six goals in a row, and even if only one of those is out from a centre bounce, it feels like, oh, geez, every time he goes to the centre, we're kicking a goal here. Quick. Just that, yeah. West Coast had those two to start the second half. 
I think it was to start the third quarter and they had two goals in about 29 seconds. And it was like, oh my God, what a rush. Yeah. Yeah. So it does. I, I think that's a, that's a very fair point. So yeah, maybe it's, um, it's, it's not so much, you know, when you talk about momentum, maybe momentum is shifting from accuracy and actually kicking the goals to getting the ball out of the center and getting into a position to score. Um, maybe we'll have to try and quantify momentum again in a future episode. I'm sure that'll be interesting. <laughs> um, any other interesting nuggets, Christian, before we move on? No, as I said, I think, um, and, and it was, it was Jake pointed out that the 20 point lead for me was the one that sort of caught my eye that it's getting less safer, you know, and again, uh, TV stations would love to hear this, but yeah, mm. the team gets 20 points up. You, you don't tune out. You're still a very, you know, if your team's behind, you're still a very good chance to come back and win. You're more, you know, almost twice as likely to come back and win as you were just three or four years ago. So um, yeah, sort of games are becoming, I think more exciting and yeah, bigger swings we're seeing, but to sort of slow the call in terms of, yeah, in terms of uh, goal streaks and how, how many we're having this year. It's, it's not high. You've, you've burst that bubble for sure. <laughs> Um, Jake, I think we can put to bed then the old Lee Matthews equation. Yeah, never understood this, uh, to be honest. Like, not a shot at Lee Matthews, but it's very easy to say, oh, three goals in three minutes is required. Yeah, that's doable. But by extrapolating that out, can you kick 30 goals in a quarter? No, you're not going to do that. So I never really understood the old Lee Matthews equation. <laughs> there we go. Um, let's move on. We, we love talking about um, breakout players and, and those who are on the improve uh, in early parts of the season. But every year, there are also a few players who have relatively poor starts of the year. And Christian, looking at some of the ratings points so far this season, pretty clear that there are a few uh, big names involved that probably need to pick up their game and find some form pretty quickly. Who, Whose average rating points in 2022 is significantly down on, on last year? Yeah, so a lot of the a lot of the guys, obviously, early in the season, it's going to be injury that plays a big part or being subbed out of a game. So sort of, you know, try not to sort uh, of exclude all those players. Um, and just looked at, yeah, if you averaged at least 10 rating points last year, which is, you know, about 100 or 200 players, so sort of in the above average category of players averaging 10 rating points last year, who's averaged the fewest this year? Uh, and the one that sort of comes out the lowest is, you know, 10.5 rating points last year down to 1.9 this year, Jack Darling at West Coast. But again, West Coast are struggling. He's their key forward. You know, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of his value comes from how well the rest of the team's playing and delivering to him. Um, so, yeah, he's had a slow start to the season. And a lot of the other names are forwards on this list, which we'll get to. But, yeah, another one that comes up quite highly is Dyson Heppel. Um, and I think this is sort of why... Mm. Uh, one of the main names you mentioned, Matt, when you said, yeah. can we look at the guys that have dropped off? And yeah, he's gone from 10.1 rating points down to 3.6 um, across the first three rounds this year. Um, and yeah, sort of playing off the halfback flank. And you think of a halfback flank at Dyson Apple, he's going to probably win a lot, sweep on a lot of loose ball and hopefully intercept a bit of play while also linking up. He's had 17.7 disposals, three contested possessions per game. So he's won nine contested possessions in three weeks and two intercept possessions Per game as well, so he's not winning the ball back from the opposition. Doesn't seem either. like a good move for him. Doesn't seem Correct. like a I think, sort of style I think we like. have seen him previously play that role well for a five or six week period, uh, where they went very heavily with Merritt and Parrish and a few others in the midfield and pushed him out. But this year, yeah, he's, he hasn't been able to sort of. He's not racking up the ball. He's not using it well off halfback. He's not getting the meters gain. He's not getting the intercept possession. So he's in a bit of no man's land playing that role at the moment. 
Jake, we talked in previous years, uh, I think we actually had a roundtable discussion on, on one of our columns that we do every week, espn.com.au forward slash AFL. Plug number two of the pod. There we go. <laughs> uh, about if you can drop a captain, and I think we've discussed this with Stephen Cornelio in the past and our managing editor, um, Stu, he's a big Bombers fan, and he, well, I think he was a bit disappointed uh, when, the, when the Dons were playing on Friday night because he put in our little Slack channel at one point. He's like, Heppel's not best 22 anymore. Um, so it goes to show, it goes to like the point is what I'm trying to ask is um, at what point I know it's early in the season do you look at someone like Heppel who's who's a leader of the club and you say well maybe the best thing for you is to have a run in the twos and show that we're serious about selection and serious about form. Yeah, I think sometimes dropping a captain makes a big statement like it did with Cornelio. Um, I remember Richie Vandenberg not That's being right. able to get yeah, a game a for Hawthorne. Like, yeah, I. Just because you're the captain of a football club or a captain in any sport, in my opinion, it doesn't make you immune from being dropped if you're not performing at a level you need to. And the Bombers are desperate for a win. Um, look, he'll be the first to put his hand up and say he's been playing Absolutely. poorly. Yeah, I'm not prepared. I know a lot of Bombers fans are saying he's cooked and, and he's he's done. I'm not prepared to go that far yet. I still think he's got a lot to offer. Um, but perhaps perhaps a run back in the twos is is what's needed. Mm. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one, and I'm sure that we'll, as the Bombers' season unfurls and, and the expectations surrounding them going into this season as well, um, you can, you, I think you'll find this will come to a head pretty quickly if his form continues to be continues to be poor. But as you say, Jake, he's the sort of player that um, I'm sure would probably be the first to put his hand up and say, "I'm not performing. I really mm. need to step up." Yep. Christian, some of the other names on the list, you, you say that there are a lot of forwards, and it makes a lot of sense. But I find it strange because. You're saying that you know the, the the forwards are the ones who are down on ratings points this year compared to last year. But we talk about how scoring is up relatively compared to the last few years. We talk about accuracy is always up in early rounds compared to later rounds because you know conditions are better and all that sort of stuff. I mean, why are we seeing some of these forwards on the list? And you can go through some more of the names now if you wish. But why are we seeing some of the forwards struggling early in the season? Yeah, it probably requires a bit of a longer answer than I'm about to give, but it's probably a bit more of it is the role they play, and it's it's forwards fluctuate. You can kick four goals one week and zero the next and rating points are going to reflect that. Whereas if you're a defender, you know, I'm not saying your job's more simple, but your job's more uh, consistent each week. So you, you know, you're not going to have those highs where one week it's, you've had 25 intercept possessions and you've been the key defender that the opposition keeps kicking to. And then the next week you don't take any, you sort of, again, so it's probably more the forwards are going to fluctuate on a lot of stats that you look at, whether you use rankings or ratings, they're probably the, the first players that lose a lot of points just because their role is, sort of yeah a little bit harder to sort of get that consistency rating out of so i think that's probably one of the answers to it um but again rating points is all about how valuable you are on the scoreboard so for these guys um that are about to list now their, their value on the scoreboards just drop so much and mm. you know again comparing someone that's averaging three fewer spoils than last year compared to someone that's averaging half a goal less than the previous year you're always going to see the guy that's averaging half a goal less drop further than the guy that's missing some spoils and things like that so um, yeah, it's sort of just how valuable the, the forwards are with rating points. But Tom McDonald's probably the next big one. Um, for Melbourne, 10.3 last year, 4.8. And again, just nine disposals across the uh, nine disposals per game across the first three, uh, two goals so far in his three games, 40% shot at goal accuracy. And there is, there's a bit of talk of, you know, Wiedemann played really, really well on the weekend. Ben Brown missed from health and safety protocols. It's sort of, sort of like, well, what is Melbourne's best forward line? It was Brown and McDonald last year. They've got Wiedemann on the list who's probably looking like he's ready to sort of take the next step. Uh, so Tom McDonald could be, yeah, just could be one to watch sort of in terms of how how safe he is in Melbourne's forward line going forward. 
Well, Jake, we were talking about McDonald throughout last season, talking about what a great season he was having and obviously averaging 10.3 ratings points per game in 2021 was probably above what many people would have had him pegged as, as doing. So now that he's averaging 4.8, it might be a bit of a return to the mean uh, and and you might sort of see that the the option of going with, say, Brown and then Wiedemann might be the, the way to go forward for the Ds. Yeah, I think... Um... I think it is still a small sample size. And again, just like we was doing it with Heppel, I don't think that you can say, oh, McDonald needs to be dropped out of the side either. But I do like Sam Wiedemann. I think he's a very, very good player, very underrated because obviously we don't see him every week. Um, I think it's pretty fair to say that he's the best forward in the league that's not playing consistent football. Um, you know, not necessarily through injury, but through through opportunity so yeah i think there are a lot of teams out there that would love to have someone like sam wiedemann um yeah i think he i think he'll get when he's getting his chances he's generally playing quite well so um it's hard to say though you can't really go with all three of them can you no exactly right and obviously with the the two the two ruck situation that they have a bit of a glut of um of tools in that in that forward line rotating through it at different different points as well um, if we keep going down the list, Christian, there are a few more forwards. Uh, look at Charlie Cameron, uh, which would kind of surprise because I think he's been pretty okay so far. And then obviously West Coast, you said, have been, have been hit pretty hard. Liam Ryan, um, Connor Rosie has been much talked about as well. So there kind of is that that lean towards these sort of you know, general forwards. And we've talked about sort of the different mm. um, way that champion data uh, distinguishes each sort of player's position. Um, but yeah, you kind of can see the trend towards these sort of smaller guys that may not be getting involved in the footy as much earlier in the season. Yeah, as I said, it's just, you know, I wouldn't put a line through any of these blokes, but it just sort of shows that, that that role is sort of, you know, it can be quite volatile in terms of how how well you can affect games and your output each week. But, yeah, going back to Charlie Cameron, I think, you know, he still kicked... Um, kicked two six, didn't he? Yeah, so I think he still kicked five or six goals across the first three rounds, I think five goals, but 31% shot at goal accuracy, uh, mm. which is 18% below his career average. And same as his kicking efficiency around the ground. So 41% kicking efficiency, he's usually at about 60%. So they're the two reasons why his numbers are dropped. Just He just gets to get his radar back on track. He's still winning the same amount of ball and things like that. And Liam Ryan was another big one. Um, he's only played the two games so far, but he's, he's shot a goal line at the moment. He's one goal, three behinds, four missed shots, which gives him an overall accuracy of 12.5%. So oh, wow. again, like a lot of that is just to do with... Obviously, you know, he, he did have a later start of the season. I think he was in health and safety protocols during preseason in round one. So, again, he's just got to get his radar back. You would have thought he's still getting still getting the opportunities. He's had, what's that, uh, nine shots at goal in two games. We've only kicked one of them. Yeah, Funny, Jake, because uh, one of our favourite um, resources is AFL tables a lot of the time. And you just sort of see the goals and the behinds, but you don't see the missed shots a lot of the time. Exactly right. And I just said before we started the record today, I was asking Christian about this because you do see that a lot. And you know, you, it's really, and he was saying like, you know, you see um, the com the commentators will say, oh, well, he's, he's kicking at 40% accuracy and that's not including the ones he's missed, but it, well, it actually is the way that champion do it. But um, no, Liam Ryan, I was just saw before he, he had the rare 11 disposal, 10 clanger game against the Dockers in the, in the Derby. So when it rains, of yeah, course. he's uh, only up from here. I would have thought. Absolutely. Hey, uh, we've got a very special guest joining us this week, ahead of the AFLW Grand Final, Marnie Vinyl, who does a wonderful job on this pod with Marissa Lordanic and Anna Harrington has joined us. Marnie, it's been a big week, and not only because of the big one coming up, but we saw two wonderful prelims, including a hugely important first AFLW league-sanctioned game at the MCG. So there's been a lot going on in Dub World. There was, and thank you so much for having me. It's great to jump on. 
the men's pod for once. It's really exciting. Um, yeah, so over the weekend, it was the prelims, Melbourne, Brisbane at the MCG, and that was the first ever AFLW game at the G. The women have played exhibition matches before, including some that ran out like Daisy Pierce and Karen Paxman. So that was a cool full circle moment for a lot of those players. And then you had Adelaide and Fremantle at Adelaide Oval over, you know, in South Australia. So mm. Melbourne won they beat Brisbane by four points going into that game. I think a lot of people thought Brisbane were going to win, but it was going to be a really tight contest. And it definitely was an incredibly tight game. So much so that there was so much defensive pressure that both teams only had one goal by halftime. And I think Mm. when you look at that, you'd think it would potentially be like a boring game, but it absolutely wasn't. It was just a lot of pace and pressure, uh, a lot of clean ball skills. And then Melbourne, broke it open. Uh, Mm. Alyssa Bannon, who's a a young one for the side, she got three goals and Brisbane got two in the last minutes, but it was, it was all over. It was Melbourne that got the win, which was very exciting for that team because we'll talk about it when we talk about the grand final stuff, but their first ever grand final that they'll be heading to. Yeah. It's kind of strange when you kind of think about that, Um, Jake, I mean, you would have watched some of the exhibition matches back in the day as well, all throughout the journey of of women's footy, but you know, they were one of like the original one. I use like air quotation marks. You can't say it on the podcast, but like they were one of the original clubs. So it's almost strange that they're, this is their first grand final and and really the team that they're coming up against uh, Adelaide, it's, I think it's their fourth. Um, So like their mainstays of this, this event. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now I wasn't there at the MCG on, uh, on Saturday afternoon, but you were mate. What was it like? Can you just explain like, what it was like from an atmosphere point of view, but also just like as far as it being that landmark moment for the first game. The very first thing that I noticed was everyone just on their way in was talking about how it actually felt like a winter game because we were walking in in the drizzle where usually we've been walking in in 30 degree heat and it was like, this is perfect. This is exactly what we want to be sitting in the rain. (laughs) (laughs) Ponchos on, ponchos off, the sun's out. The sun's gone. It was it was just perfect spectator experience from like an AFL perspective. Yeah. But being at the ground, oh, it was awesome. It was just because being at the ground felt like proper recognition of mm. the women's game and how far it's come because it started in 2017, which is really not that long ago. And to grow so far, I saw today that the memberships have grown by like 80 something percent. Mm. It's just, it, it, it's really special. And to be in the crowd, also, I don't want to brag, but I had Darcy Vessio sitting in the seat in front of me and Sarah Perkins in the seat behind me. And I was like, this is such a great moment just for me personally, really one I was going to like cement in my brain. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you kind of think of the MCG as the home of footy, but we, we kind of mentioned it before. Adelaide Oval's had its fair share of footy as well recently, especially when it comes to AFLW and the women. So you, you think the people of Adelaide, Adelaide fans, Adelaide players might be... Um, I don't know, taking a bit of umbrage and a bit of interest in the fact that this has been such a big week for them when, you know, after all that happened, it's now going to be played at Adelaide Oval, the grand final. Yeah. So there was actually a bit of weird commentary that maybe Adelaide should nicely give the game to the MCG, the grand final, which is like absolutely just rubbish because they deserve the right to have it at Adelaide Oval. Um, and Adelaide Oval, they've, I mean, they've got the record for the most um, crowd attendance at an AFLW mm. game. It's in the 50. Yeah, I, know, mm. I remember that. Yeah. Game. It was the grand final a few years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. Well, it was 2019. 56,000? Yeah, yeah, it was Yeah, yeah it was before um, all of COVID happened. And mm. it, it's going to be kind of annoying on the weekends because 
community footy has just started mm. and they play on Saturdays and this is a daytime Saturday game. So a lot of families won't actually be able to go to the grand final, which hopefully is something that AFL take note going mm. forward. Well, because- scheduling, it was supposed yeah, to be last week. That's the frustrating part, I guess, isn't it as well? Well, yet another yeah. issue with the AFL slash AFLW scheduling because uh, I've been had on issue this with for this three for a weeks while, now. Yeah, it's just been one poor decision after another. But hey, surely there's going to be down the track, whether it's next year or the year after, there will come a time where the MCG does get its chance to host an AFLW grand final. Oh, absolutely. And we were so close. If Fremantle beat Adelaide on the weekend, it would have been MCG's game. No, oh, there you go. Um, looking ahead to the game, uh, mm. we, we talked about the teams that are in it, but I mean, do you have a gut feel of which way this could go and, and how the game could play out? Yeah, I, just like a bit of a rundown. So Adelaide are in their fourth grand final so that's the most of any team in any competition and it's the third time that they're hosting and so they've won two premierships in those grand finals in 2017 which was the first year and then 2019 the year before COVID hit and on their current active list they've got eight players that were involved in both of those flags and then five that were another five that were involved in 2019. So that's a lot of players that already have a premiership, Mm. you know, back in the trophy cabinet. So that's an incredibly experienced side and used to playing on a big stage where it's the exact opposite. Melbourne have just continually come very, very close. So they lost the prelim to Adelaide last year. And then the year before that, they missed out uh, on percentage when it was that conference system. Mm -hmm. So they've come so close every time. I don't know. And they've also won the second most games in the competition history just behind Adelaide. So we've really got two of the top sides in the whole history of the league. And, you know, we kind of talked about the D's as sort of one of those, you know, quote unquote original teams. And and you look at the likes of Daisy Pierce and the fact that she hasn't had the chance to play off in a grand final. I mean, surely now, like this is like her her moment. It feels like that. I I kind of want Melbourne to win just for the Daisy Pierce story. I just think that's got to be one for the history books. It's very poetic and beautiful. Mm. Also, other plays like Karen Paxman, which I yes. feel potentially just don't get as much limelight because Daisy Pierce is such a big name, but there's a lot of players that I think deserve to be on that mm. stage. Well, you said who you, you want to win, but do you have, <laughs> like, who, who do you think is going to win? Do we have a, a winner, a margin? Like, who's your tip for the for the big one? I did say I want Melbourne to win. I am just going to say in case my dad is listening, who's an Adelaide Crows <laughs> fan, but I'm also very, <laughs> that I also do want the Crows to get bets. up. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Adelaide feel like the strongest side, but I feel like Melbourne would just be that extra bit hungrier mm. for it, which could make the difference. Melbourne are incredibly fast side. So it would be really interesting to see if they can get some of those breakaway goals. That's how they beat Brisbane over that weekend. It was just taking advantage of, small opportunities when it kind of felt similar in the contest. So if they can do that against Adelaide, it could be theirs, but Adelaide is just incredibly strong. They've got such a back line. Mm. I think Chesley Rannan had 12 intercepts on the weekend, which is massive. Mm. So I don't know. I think Adelaide are the strongest side, but Melbourne could just be, have that extra edge when it comes to, yeah, the desire and the first grand final and that sort of stuff. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh, Marnie, it's been wonderful to have you on, on the podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining uh, joining in. Guys, if you're listening at home, you know, they do fantastic work, The um, Marissa, Marnie and Anna, every week on the pod. Um, Marnie also does a lot of writing to ESPN.com.au. So in the wash up and in the lead up to the grand final, make sure you get around the site and some of the stuff that she's written because it's great stuff. Um, Marnie, thanks so much for joining us again. Thank you so much.
Jake, time for our favorite segment, Justified Hype or Hyperbole, where we'll say a statement uh, and you guys need to tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Uh, a bit of a fun one to kick us off. Jordan Dawson will never have to buy a beer in Adelaide again. Well, beers are pretty expensive these days. <laughs> so I don't know if bars and pubs will be giving them out uh, for the rest of his I'm life. I'm saying the punters will be buying him beers. Oh, the, you reckon the punters would? Yeah, if, if you were a Crows fan, fan and Jordan yeah. Dawson was at a pub in 20 years' time, would you still be think? Would you still think he deserves a beer? Yeah, why not? You're more generous than me. No, um, I like it. Ah, oh, look, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll go, I'll run with it. But it, it did get me thinking that whole concept of, like, it, let's just look at the last sort of two decades. What moment or what player sort of has claims for that king of a city and just would never have to pay for a beer? Again, and the one that I think of is Nick Davis in Sydney. You know, an iconic final goal in the final seconds of a semi-final in 2005. But an iconic fourth quarter, really, where he kicked four goals and brought them back from the dead mm. to, to win the impossible game. Um, yeah, and obviously they went on to win the flag that year. So I would imagine we are now, what, 17 years on from that. I would imagine people still would buy Nick Davis beers in Sydney pubs. Um, very off off the... I'm going to might throw you under the bus here, Christian, but the ratings points that he would have had in that fourth quarter alone, oh. do we know what they would be? <laughs> One of the all-time greats. <laughs> Not off the top of my head, no, sorry. Um, well, Christian, we were talking before the pod and you had a very similar sort of thought. Same year, same club. Yeah, so we always talk about... Goal kickers, goals on the siren and things like that. But another famous one I think of, surely Leo Barry. Leo Barry just walks into a bar and gets gets uh, bought a beer for the most Leo famous Barry intercept mark ever taken. Yeah, that's not a bad shout either. I think these are getting a little too old though. That's the only problem that I see with these. But no, but that's my point with Daw- Jordan Dawson. Because I, I said in I 20 did, yeah, years Yeah, the question time, was never buy a beer in Adelaide again. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So it should one- last. It, it shouldn't just be a, oh, he... One around, I know it was a showdown, but I think, I think you got to do a bit more than win a regular season game, showdown or not. Like, there you go. Look Maybe at David we'll Zaharakis. That... You know, he won that. Remember that famous Anzac Day game on yeah. Anzac Day. But I don't think people really think about that anymore. And they've played so many games, and it didn't. Ultimately, it doesn't land you a premiership. Well, maybe we'll put that on a poll on Twitter at footy tips and you can have your vote. Um, the one that I think of, and you talk about big games then, Jake, is Dom Sheed. I don't think he's buying a beer in Perth. Yeah, no, Dom Sheed's a good one. And obviously, you know, like like Davis and Leo Barry, it did lead to a, a flag. Um, but the only thing I would say is it didn't happen in Perth. That is the one thing it's that I think final. kind of dings him. I know it's a grand final. They were only played in Melbourne at that point. Yeah, I, I know that, but it's just like, I feel like it needs to happen in the city. Like, like you get the you Nick Davis when he walks off the ground. It's like here is the key to Sydney. You'll never pay for a drink again. But Sheed is a good shout. Like, um, we had Rowan Connolly last week saying it was the best, greatest goal of all time. Greatest, greatest goal of like all time. Pressure, which is a I huge think. call. Yeah. But he his point was there's never really been a goal that at one goal that has had a premiership on the line like that. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Uh, moving on. Christian, the Giants and the Suns crowd shows that one of these clubs might not last the journey. Uh, hyperbole. I think it was... Uh, 4,000 people at the ground. I know, but I think... That's dire, isn't it? Yeah, I think we're resigned to the fact that, um, you know, it's bigger than just attendances. 
uh, these days. So that's that's one number you can use. And I'm not, you know, I'm not sort of don't have all my uh, head across all the marketing numbers and sponsorship numbers, but I think we know these two teams are here to stay. And I think we've got to get over looking at the attendance uh, yeah. attendance figure for them. My biggest one is, you know, and, and it's not something for this year, but if, if Gold Coast don't make finals, how, how long can Gold Coast not make finals? You know, 30, 40 years of not making finals. That would be more of a worry. Um, but yeah, I'm not looking at the crowd attendance each week to, to justify these. these teams. I agree. I, th- I think the crowd is somewhat irrelevant. Having said that though, if you told Gill and the, the whole AF- AFL 10 years ago, that these two clubs would be playing on a pretty nice day from what I, from what it Just looked overcast, like. No rain. Um, and they only got 4,000 people. I think even they would admit that they would be hoping for a lot more than that. Mm. I mean, this yes, is the fixture they want to project. Bit, Jake, it's isn't a 20, 30 year project. But we are a third of the way to 30 years now. Like we have had 10 years. This isn't year two or year three. This is year 10, year 11. Mm. You know, it's it's not great. And as you say, the, the Suns are yet to play a final. They're yet to play on Friday night. Yep. Uh, we only just had our first Friday night showdown. So, I mean, it just goes to show True. how long some of these <laughs> yeah, things have They got a fair while to go. <laughs> uh, Luke Dowhouse had a pretty good fourth quarter after being subbed in uh, for the Cats. Helped helped probably get them over the line in the end. Um, it just goes to, 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 well, it makes me want to pose the, the thought that it's just time to make the sub the sub because you can be lucky, quote unquote, uh, and, an, and an injury happens to a, a slightly larger player and then you can bring on your runner as the sub and, and they make all the difference while, you know, the tired legs of the opposition aren't fortunate because they haven't uh, succumbed to injury. So my thought is just make the sub the subject. Yep. I justified. couldn't agree more. Like it should be that way. It should be that way. Or if it's not that way, if you're subbed out, you just can't play the following week. It's like the concussion rule. You, if you're subbed out, you can't play the next week. The, the AFL has to go one way or the other. Treat it as if it's only an injury sub so teams can't sort of take advantage of it or just let it be a normal sub, which I think is the better option. Let it be a sub. If you want to, if you think you've got a mismatch and you've, you're playing two tools and it starts raining, you can sub, a, you can sub one of your, your second ruck out, you know? Answering awareness. I, I just think that there's, there's no reason why it can't be like that. Yeah, no, nah, fair enough. Uh, and last one. Oh, geez, Christian, I don't know if you're watching this one. I might not throw it to you, but we can, you can weigh in anyway. Jake, Matt Hill should be a permanent fixture in TV footy coverage. Oh, yeah, really good. I'm certainly no horse racing uh, fan, but he's got a fa- There's no denying he's got an iconic, fantastic voice, and he just called the game beautifully. It was, it was very refreshing. Not, not going to sit here and knock any of the other regular commentators, but... I certainly wouldn't be complaining if he was um, if he was a regular on the seven broadcast team. I find it very strange, or not strange. I find it interesting that when you have uh, someone like Hill on on Sunday afternoon football paired up with Brian Taylor, just how different they are, um, and how Hill is clearly, uh, I think, a TV caller and can look at what's happening and, and know that the medium in front of him, the, the actual action that people can see is is telling a lot of the story. Yeah. Uh, whereas Brian is, I think, clearly more suited to radio. Because he is that entertainment and you need to sort of fill that void a bit more. Yeah, no, he does provide that colour and excitement. Um, I, re- I did read something over the weekend on Twitter, I think, about um, Matt Hill. And, you know, obviously he's made his name in in calling horse racing. But, you know, you don't, horse racing is not, you don't get commentators who are just ex-jockeys or something like that. Um 
calling the horse race. You get up someone who's a broad, but AFL is different. It seems that we just continue to get, and it's not a, again, it's not a knock on a lot of these guys that do it, and some of them do a really good job. But um, yeah, I would hope that he doesn't just come in, fill fill a game, and then not get another opportunity because I thought he was fantastic, particularly for his first game on a broadcast. Because I know he's done a fair bit of radio work um, over the last year or two. I think it's very clear and evident to to know which commentators in footy have gone through the traditional systems and those that have sort of started later in life because there's it's not that the quality is different it's just that the the priorities are different and the personalities are different uh, and it was quite refreshing it was a nice balance brian and, and matt on the, on sunday so maybe they'll persist with it um about to wrap things up for the day jake you chatted to uh an injured captain on the, during the week and you've got some interesting stuff coming up you want to tell us a bit about that I did. I had a really nice, uh, candid chat with uh, Freo Skipper Nat Fife, um, who, yeah, spoke about a lot of um, interesting things about Freo and his relationship with some key players, David Mundy and Andy Brayshaw, and how he's dealing with leadership, not being able to play, and the injuries over the last few years, as well as some really nice stuff about mental health and um, some thoughts there, which I won't tease too much. But uh, yeah, essentially, some some really nice stuff coming uh, in the pipeline. Uh, from him and, and a couple of other players as well. So, yeah, stay tuned to espn.com.au forward slash AFL, plug number three. Um, nice. <laughs> tip with us, Footy Tips app. Uh, if you join, how are we tipping? How yeah, are we I got another boys? six. So I'm, I'm sort I, of averaging. I out. think on Saturday, I looked, I went and looked, um, and I saw C Jolly above me in the tipping. What's going on here? It's my margin tipping has been quite quite good on the margin. I, I, think, I've got, I think I've got a, I'm not sure the number, the margin number, but I think I'm the lowest there and I'm the second most total tip. So the, the margin's good. keeping me up the top of up the top it's, of the range. It's like percentage for the teams. Right, um, I'll hold you in good stead later. I'm in the going season. port. He, I'm going port on Thursday night. You're putting so them in. I'm doing it right now. Uh, there you I'll go. go one uh, point just to cover myself in case they lose. <laughs> There's a, there's a link on Twitter at footy tips uh, where you can join our competition. It's not too late. Uh, or if you're just on the desktop, I think you can just search for the ESPN footy pod in the footy tips website uh, and you'll find us there and, and you can tip along. So get involved. It's good fun. Um, Jake, it's almost our hundredth episode. I think it's next week. You've promised something. You've promised a prize. You've promised a, a special event, a special gala, a special something. Uh, and look at it, your face right now. I can tell you haven't got anything up your sleeve. Well, we may have to postpone this to some sort of prize for the winner of this footy tipping competition, which hopefully I'll win. But about? <laughs> well, uh, have a think about that. Is it actually next week, or is this uh, ninety-eight or ninety-nine? No, I believe it is next week. I'll have to I'll have to double check because I, I don't think yeah. we were four or five away in round one. So okay. I'll, I'll double check. But uh, it'd be yeah, funny it'd if be this was the hundredth. Yeah, good times. <laughs> Jake, thanks for joining me. Christian, good to speak with you as always. To everyone at home, we'll speak to you uh, next Tuesday. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.